The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in St. Petersburg, Florida, and here is your top five at five. This wild week rolls on. Down big one day, up the next, and now futures are higher after the Wednesday whiplash. A change in fortunes likely linked to a short-term deal in D.C. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell extended a sort of debt ceiling olive branch. Crypto, it keeps on humming. Bitcoin nearing 55,000. ETH closing in on 4K. That may not be the biggest story in the space this morning. Let's explain. Natural gas shortages across Europe continuing to fuel the global energy crisis. We will break down some of the absurd prices some countries are now paying. And Kathy Wood's latest buying spree, the stock highly followed tech investor is pouring millions into now. Bringing you that name on this Thursday, October 7th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. By the way, that stock move by Kathy Wood is not the only move move she is making. We'll get more on that in a minute. All right, meantime, here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their Thursday stock futures. They are higher across the board. The NASDAQ futures up nearly 1%. Dow futures up 157, but about three-tenths of 1%. All of this coming after another wild session on Wednesday that saw the Dow erase a more than 400-point loss from bottom to top. We're talking about a 526-point swing for the Dow. Same for the broader S&P, erasing its own 1.3% loss for its biggest single-day swing since last February, nearly a year. Wow. Yields not spooking investors this morning. The 10-year yield holding just above 1.5%, but again, not moving the markets. Bit of a different story for energy. Oil coming off a sharp reversal yesterday for its worst day in weeks. This morning, crude is down again. The Biden administration is now talking about the rare move of potentially selling oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and or even banning crude oil exports. We'll get more on that in a bit. Same story for natural gas. It is a bit lower, but keep in mind, natural gas is still higher than it was just one month ago. Oh, and by the way, it's up 130% this year. Down a little bit right now, but still well up from where it was a couple of weeks and months ago. And then, of course, there is the crypto up yet again on Bitcoin, breaking above 55,000 for the first time since May. It's settled a little below that. It's at 54.4, but you got Ether at 35.86 on the March higher. Certainly, there's been a lot of positive-looking charts on the crypto side lately. Well, around the world, macro China still closed for a long holiday week. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But Hong Kong surging 2% in overnight trading. And in Europe, guess what? Despite all the concerns about the energy stuff that we talk about, it doesn't matter to investors, at least today. 
We are seeing gains across the board in the major European markets with Germany up more than 1%. Stocks there, by the way, up three of the last four days. So let us start there, because this morning, one UK advocacy group is warning politicians not only about supply of natural gas, but also that many businesses may be priced out of the market if energy prices stay high. Some spot prices for UK natural gas, you know, bought in the moment, more than 800% above historically average prices. Let's talk more about this, what exactly is going on, what people are saying about it. Juliana Tatelbaum is standing by in London. So, Juliana, uh, we're making a big deal about it here. Is it a big deal in the media there? It certainly is, Brian, and there is mounting pressure on consumers and businesses and in turn on politicians. So over the last several days, we've heard from a number of European political leaders with people really pressing them to explain how we got here. Was this a miscalculation on their part when it comes to storage capacity and the uh, the, the demand situation as it has evolved? So we've heard from a number of European political leaders over the course of the week talking to the crisis. But what's really happened over the last 24 hours is natural gas gas prices have retreated here in Europe and in the UK. And I want to just bring you to this chart because this explains a lot of the narrative that's uh, taking shape right now. And this is around Europe's energy dependence. They get around 44% of natural gas from Russia. So hugely dependent on Russia. And yesterday we saw a turn in sentiment. Natural gas prices break and begin to drop after Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, came out and said that Russia was set to increase supplies to Europe. And this is a picture of how we're Trading right now, we've got European natural gas futures down a further 15% this morning. You already mentioned U.S. natural gas prices, U.K. natural gas down about 10%. So Russia, a huge player here, and providing some reassurance to markets. Brian, Vladimir Putin to the rescue, Juliana. I think whenever Vladimir Putin has to come out and calm the markets, you know you've got one heck of a story. Juliana, thank you. Appreciate that. It's all about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, methinks. All right, back home. New developments around the debt ceiling deadline, which may be helping stock futures this morning. Savannah Hanau is here now with that and more of your key headlines on this Thursday. Savannah, what do we got? All right, Brian, good morning. Democratic lawmakers are signaling they will take up Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's offer to raise the U.S. debt ceiling into December, thereby alleviating the immediate risk of default, but raising the prospect of another political fight near the end of the year. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said the two sides were, quote, making good progress and that he hoped to have an agreement worked out by today. Facebook is reportedly delaying the rollout of some key new products amid increased scrutiny from Congress and the media. According to The Wall Street Journal, Facebook executives are also putting a hold on work for existing products while they conduct, quote, reputational reviews. This to examine how the changes may be received by the public and ensure they do not adversely impact children. And Nike shareholders late yesterday rejected a shareholder proposal asking the company to report on the effectiveness of its diversity, equity and inclusion programs. Nike, which has aligned itself with Black Lives Matter and other social justice movements, including those championed by former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick, urged shareholders to vote against the resolution, saying it's already doing enough to ensure equity and inclusion at all levels of the company. Brian, back to you. All right, we'll see how investors react to that. Savannah Hanal, we'll see in a few minutes. Thank you very sure much. Thing, well, that potential deal out of D.C., as well as maybe the historically solid fourth quarter, helping stock futures right now, 
We are up 160 on the Dow. Look at that, nearly the same, about 1% on the NASDAQ, a tech turnaround. But why don't we think a little bit longer term? Talk about this economic reopening and bring in Joanne Feeney, partner and portfolio manager at Advisors Capital Management. And Joanne, I'm sure you you watch the day-to-day waves of the market with interest, but it's not going to change your overall investing view. You're thinking about where to make money, not just next year, but five and 10 years from now. So I'm going to ask you, where can we make money five and 10 years from now? All right, Brian, good to see you. And um, well, as we talked about before, that, that investment horizon really does need to be longer term. And we do want to make money along the way, uh, but we have to recognize it's going to be a bit volatile. So what we're doing for clients is really giving them exposure to three areas. One, it's very important to remain exposed to secular growth trends. And those can be in technology. They can be in, in consumer. Uh, they can even be in industrials. There's some cyclical component to that right now, certainly. But the second area you want to have exposure to you know, is the strong uh, cyclical opportunity in front of us. A lot of folks are worried that the recovery has slowed down, but that slowing actually means the recovery is going to be lasting for longer. And then finally, we want to make sure to have some defensive positions because we have some risk ahead of us, whether it's inflation, uh, whether it's the debt ceiling and other kinds of politics in Washington. So we do have some defensive positions as well. And, and if you can ride out the volatility, you know, you really want to play to the, the long-term yeah. potential of the stock market. You know, there's a TJ Maxx near my house, and actually yesterday I was right in the shopping center where it was, and the parking lot looked full. Of course, it was kind of weird in the middle of the afternoon. I'm thinking, am I the only one that does an early morning TV show? Who has their afternoons free? Anywho, it seemed crowded. I mean, there seems to be a lot of economic activity, but we talk about higher energy prices. We talk about food inflation as well. I know TJX, I didn't randomly mention it. It is one of your picks, Joanne. Doesn't sound like you are that worried about the consumer right now. Well, Brian, you know, when you look at the consumer balance sheets, I mean, they still have a lot of savings that they're sitting on, you know, from what's happened over the last year. And so, yeah, we think there's a lot of potential for a TJ Maxx, you know, not just the uh, the stores we're all so familiar with that you drove by, but also their home goods stores, which have done really well and we think are going to continue to do well because the housing recovery, or the housing surge, I should say, is still ongoing. And, and we see that in the in the data on the shortage of houses for sale. So we also like Lennar here as one of the home builders focused on the lower end of the market. We think that's going to be the strongest. And then folks go out and they, they fill those homes with stuff that they can find at TJ Maxx and at their home goods stores as well. So while it hasn't performed as well lately, yeah, I was thinking that's work, really I was thinking work from home. home must mean work from TJ Maxx. I was like, it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The store was packed. Let's talk about the defensive side of that position, which is interesting. You've got TD and Citigroup, some – Financials, how, how are those big banks a defensive play, Joanne? Well, one of the big risks that we're facing, and I think is a substantial one, right, is rising interest rates. And the banks have really underperformed just recently because of the, uh, you know, the low interest rate environment they've been in and also the delay in the loan balances going up. And, and we think that those both uh, tailwinds start to improve for banks and also provide that insurance against higher inflation and higher interest rates. So that's the sense in which those are both defensive positions and also recovery positions as rates rise over time. I can tell you as an economist, Brian, interest rates here are too low, uh, given where inflation is and given the fact that we have real economic growth as part of this recovery. And we're going to find out if the bond vigilantes agree with you, Joanne. They've ticked up rates a little bit. 
We'll see if they do it en masse more. TJX, Citigroup, TD. Joanne Feeney, Advisors Capital. Really appreciate getting up early and coming on for us, Joanne. Always value your opinion. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks, Bob. All right. When we come back, one big day here on CNBC with four reporters, thousands of miles apart at our supply chain's most critical points. All day today, we're going to show you the issues, the choke points, and what it all might mean for your holiday shopping. We are live at the Port of Shanghai with stop number one ahead. Plus, is the bottom end for big tech? Why some valuations once thought stretched could be your next big buy. And then, why Kathy Wood is trading in her Metro card for a pair of shades and maybe a Tom Brady jersey. We'll tell you about that big move, and it has nothing to do with stock. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. All right, welcome back. Well, it is a big day here on CNBC because we are doing a deep dive into the global supply chain crunch, helping you see firsthand what is really going on. And we have four of our finest out there in the field across the world highlighting some of the key choke points all ahead of the holiday shopping season. We kick it off this morning with Unishun, where it all begins. The challenges for the global supply chain begin on the factory floor. A stronger yuan, higher wages, and price you're stuffing mean the cost of making one of these Care Bears is up 25% since January. Ahead of Christmas, boxes are stacked here for one to two months compared to no waiting time before the pandemic. We don't know uh, when customer can give us the shipping space. I don't, we don't know. Once a bear leaves the factory, it takes 15 to 20 days to arrive at a U.S. port like L.A. Having these products stuck in China is just the beginning. Well, I haven't gotten that Care Bear yet. Maybe it's on this ship. It is so busy here at the Port of Los Angeles. Today, there are 65 ships parked out here. It's going to take 10 days to get an appointment to be unloaded. Yet longshoremen are not working 24-7. We can work 24-7. And our men and women are willing to work 24-7. The problem is, where do those truckers, and it's not their fault, where do they take their cargo? 30% of daily truck appointments go unused. That's because warehouses up the road are full. That means right now there are 650,000 containers full of goods, either on ships or on the docks, waiting for someone to come move them. Railways to move containers like these from L.A. to here in Chicago, now more than 200% higher than they were back in 2019. Half of the Care Bears will stop in Chicago on their way east of the Mississippi. But now these transfer points are backed up and containers delayed because there's not enough workers or equipment to haul them away. Chassis availability, driver shortage, labor 
shortages across the supply system that is uh, really, really causing the problems. Also, trucking rates are 91% higher than they were pre-pandemic, making the trip to retailers more expensive and take longer. It can take twice as long for a product like this Care Bear to get from a Chinese factory to this Learning Express store in Bedford, Massachusetts. The journey cost Toymaker Basic Fund 620% more. We're adding a freight surcharge at the end of the invoice, and the, the retailer will have to determine whether they incorporate that into their selling price. This toy store is selling Care Bears for $16.99, and they have enough inventory for now. The supply chain issues are very real. We are seeing that it's taking weeks to months to get product into the store. And so we encourage you to buy now if you see something that you want to give this Christmas. Oh, and Brian, and Brian, so the um, producer of this Care Bear has also suggested that Americans buy their toys for Christmas early. This Care Bear actually has traveled across China from the factory to the Shanghai port here. And uh, before it is able to actually get onto a boat uh, to the United States, there are still several bottlenecks that the, um, that the Care Bears, as well as, other Chinese, uh, as well as other Chinese products going to the United States, also face. The port protocols are very strict because of Beijing's COVID-19 zero-tolerance approach. Um, in fact, currently, the port workers have to undergo 16 continuous hours of work, uh, 16 days of work, and then seven days of government quarantine, then seven days of home isolation. Everybody has to be vaccinated and also undergo COVID testing every other day. Brian? Yeah, China still one of the last countries trying kind of fruitlessly to do the COVID zero policy. Uh, but there's other issues as well, Eunice. We have talked about these energy supply crunches in Europe, but there have been some rolling blackouts in other ports of China as well. Is there concern there or are you reading there about sort of the energy crunch? China is a big importer of energy. Costs have gone up. Also, maybe just sort of adding more, I guess, fuel, bad term, to the fire uh, on some of these supply chain problems. Absolutely. In fact, that was one of the key concerns that some of the factory owners who we spoke to said that they saw coming over the next year or so. They said that they were worried about some of these electrical limitations, also concerned about some of the, the rising cost of petroleum. In fact, that rising cost is going to be built into the polyester stuffing of this Care Bear, which means rising cost. I mean, another major concern that some of the factory owners said that they were worried about is the fact that because they're starting to see more and more odor, uh, orders from, say, Walmart and Costco and uh, Target, mm. those retailers have large warehouses here. And uh, they're starting to see lines yeah. forming of truckers who are waiting up to 40 hours to be able to unload some of their product. And then that waiting time just means added cost for a lot of these factories. Almost two days sitting in your truck waiting it into the port. That does not sound fun. But I, I have to correct you on something, uh, Eunice. I'm sorry. I hate correcting my friends on the air. It's very important. That Care Bear is not stuffed with polyester. That Care Bear is stuffed with love. <laughs> How about love plus polyester? No. Polyester love. Let's split the middle, Eunice Yoon. Is that, is, I, I expect to see that Care Bear... In my sock in about a month, like that pillow you sent me with my face on it. I'll never forget that. <laughs> Eunice Yoon, 
Thank you. Appreciate it. Care Bears. All right. By the way, who knew Care Bears could be used to tell such an important story? All right on deck. Your big money movers, including a nearly $3 billion deal for magazines. Yep. Magazines. Dow Futures up 160. We're back after this. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. And today it's inflation of a different kind. Instead of three, we're going to give you four stock stories. Stock number one is Levi's. Third quarter results topping forecast. Consumers continuing to splurge on new clothes. They return to busting out into social life. Also, a lot of people gain weight. Levi's expects fourth quarter revenue growth about 20%. Stock number two, Meredith, IAC Interactive, agreeing to buy the company's media assets for roughly $2.7 billion. Those include People Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, Better Homes and Gardens. IAC will combine the business with its dot dash unit. Stock number three is Twitter. It is selling its mobile ad business, MoPub, to App Lovin'. I mean, this sounds like a movie, MoPub to App Lovin', for just over $1 billion in cash. MoPub lets companies keep track of ad inventory in real time. Twitter says it is focusing more on its own ads on its own app and its website, MoPub. And stock number four, Rocket Lab, surging after the company was chosen by NASA to fly an experimental solar sail into space could be an alternative to satellites for certain missions. Rocket Lab went public in August through a SPAC deal. All right, straight ahead. Bullish on big tech. Dan Ives is here to break down his thesis and why he is a buyer right now. We'll also talk Tesla with their annual meeting today. And a reminder, if you haven't already, you should follow our podcast. NASDAQ futures up nearly 1%. We're back right after this. Kicking the can down the road again as Senate Republicans offer a short-term solution to raise the American debt ceiling. For investors, maybe a deal's a deal, no matter how long, and that has stocks looking to rip, features they are higher, and why millions of people in Europe may be praying and hoping for a much warmer winter. It is Thursday, October 7th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Welcome or welcome back, everybody. Good, uh, what is it, Thursday? I'm off tomorrow, so it's Friday. Good Friday morning. We'll just say that. It's 520 in the East. Thanks for joining us. Here's how your money investments look right now as we are not quite halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Stock futures, they're looking pretty solid. We're seeing Dow futures up about 145 points, but that is not the story. Technology, of course, leads this market. NASDAQ futures really are the story, and they are up about 1% right now, almost the same on a number basis as the Dow. Europe also higher across the board, kind of shaking off some of their energy concerns. We are seeing the major averages higher there. Now, let's talk about oil because I want to hit the price and then I want to hit a new Goldman note, which just crossed the tape a few moments ago. First off to prices, we are seeing a little softening in the energy markets right now, but WTI crude still at 75, natural gas down a bit, but still well above where it was even just two to three weeks ago. Now, 
The Biden administration has come out yesterday and started talking about a couple of things. Hold the prompter, please. They started talking about uh, either doing releasing the Strategic Petroleum Reserve or they've talked about banning exports of crude or refined products or maybe both. Okay, thinking the idea is that energy prices are too high. But Goldman Sachs out with a note this morning, literally moments ago, looked at it in the commercial break, saying there may be more at work here. All right. So Goldman writing this morning talking about this potential export ban. Now, it's a little bit confusing without context because this literally just came out. But Goldman says that this could also strengthen the U.S. administration's, not the SPR release, but the banning of exports. So that's the banning of exports might strengthen the U.S. administration's negotiation power out of discussions on the carbon border tax adjustment proposed by the EU. Very interesting. What Goldman is saying is that if we stopped exporting oil or gas for a short period of time, it actually may reduce sort of our carbon footprint in the near term and give us more of a lower benchmark in these negotiations. Really politically strategic. What Goldman also said, though, is that ironically, it would be particularly bullish, meaning gasoline prices could go up and refined products more generally due to the fact the U.S. would still be a net importer of gasoline And because we are priced in imports off of Brent crude, Brent crude prices may go up. So what Goldman is saying is that if we ban exports of crude oil, it may be for more of a trade deal negotiation tactic than anything else. But it also may raise gasoline prices because we'll have to import off the higher Brent crude. I'm sure that's not what the administration would want or hope. But Goldman out with a note moments ago saying that is a risk. All right, let's move on. Kick off the rest of this half hour with your top story, a likely deal in D.C. over the debt ceiling. A showdown possibly coming to an end today, at least, well, for a few months. Alon Moy joining us now with what may get done and what still may need to get done. Alon, good morning. Well, good morning, Brian. There's still no official word on whether this debt ceiling deal is done, despite negotiations between Republicans and Democrats that lasted until midnight. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said the two sides were making good progress, but not there yet. And he hoped to be able to announce an agreement this morning. Now, Republicans have offered to support a short-term increase in the debt limit that would allow the government to keep borrowing money into December. But Democrats would have to target a specific dollar amount for the new cap. They couldn't just wave it all together. Now, Republicans hope the extra time would allow Democrats to pass a longer-term fix through the reconciliation process and without GOP help. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said the deal would moot any excuses about rushing that vote. Now, some Democrats were optimistic about the offer. Senator Bernie Sanders called it a good step forward. Senator Elizabeth Warren said McConnell had caved. But the initial response from the White House was more skeptical. A press release is not a formal offer. Um, And regardless, even the scant details that have been reported present more complicated, more difficult options than the one that is quite obvious in the president's view and is in front of the faces of every member up on the Hill. We could get this done today. We don't need to kick the can. Now, the Senate will come back into session at 10 a.m. And hopefully, Brian, will find out then whether they can actually reach this agreement. Back over to you. Uh, so bottom line, does it solve the problem or are we doing this delicate DC dance again around Christmas? 
Well, Brian, don't you like to dance together? We're going to be doing this again around Christmas is the real answer here. This does not solve the problem. It just punts all of these fiscal deadlines uh, to the winter time. So you're going to have the economic agenda. They say they want to pass that by Halloween. You have the government funding deadline. That's December the 3rd. And now you're going to have the debt ceiling tied into all of this again. We just played this movie um, and all the incentives, all the dynamics and all the roadblocks remain the same. We're just going to have to navigate them all a little bit later on in the year. And you got me thinking about, you know, and I'm going to date myself here, you know, listen to little Eric B and Rakim and churning the butter, you know, the day. And I just thought that's kind of like D.C. It's a metaphor. Just just turning the butter. Wait, are you talking about the dance move? (laughs) I'm talking about both. I'm also now talking about about butter because now I'm thinking about butter and now I'm hungry. So it's like a triple Roger Rabbit. (laughs) I was thinking about the Taylor Swift song. You know, I've seen this film before and I didn't like the ending. I don't know if markets are going to like the ending to this this film. You didn't see it, but I was doing this, which is is just nobody wants to see. Elon. Have a great day. Thank you. Have a great day, Brian. All right. Let's get a check on some of the other top stories with somebody who has no doubt turned the butter on the dance floor a few times. Silvana <laughs> Hanau is back. You can't unsee that, Silvana. Those were some good dance moves, Brian. They were good. They were good. <laughs> All right, Brian. So Thanks. President Thanks for, Biden and lying. <laughs> President Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping plan to meet virtually before the end of this year. According to a senior U.S. administration official who spoke with CNBC, the two leaders reached a, quote, agreement in principle for the bilat as a part of an effort to manage competition between the two countries. The agreement follows a six-hour meeting in Zurich Wednesday between White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and his Chinese counterpart. Watching shares of Ginkgo Bioworks this morning after they closed down more than 10 percent yesterday, this coming after comments from short-selling research firm Scorpion Capital saying the company is a, quote, colossal scam, a Frankenstein mashup of the worst frauds of the last 20 years and a U.S. And a US version of the China hustle. The biotech company recently went public through a SPAC merger, one of the largest to date, and currently has a market cap of around $21 billion, more than 100 times projected 2021 revenue. Ginkgo does have one big fan, at least, that being Kathy Woods, ARK Invest, who's been buying into the stock since it went public and just bought 8.2 million shares yesterday. And speaking of ARK, the company is moving its headquarters from New York City to St. Petersburg, Florida, effective November 1st. The company also announcing it plans to build an incubator in collaboration with the local government, which will aim to retain and attract top talent by supporting entrepreneurs and tech startups in St. Petersburg and the Tampa Bay region. The incubator will be named the ARC Innovation Center and is expected to open in July 2023. Brian, Brian, like you said, she's trading in the jackets for sunglasses. Yeah, St. Petersburg is a growing financial center. Raymond James and others is there. Great weather, great tax rate, by the way. And Tampa may have the best airport in the United States. There you go. Thank you. You got it. All right. And there she goes. All right, let's (laughs) talk about the two T's, tech and Tesla. They do go hand in hand, after all. In the past month, the NASDAQ down more than 5% with some investors wondering if maybe the shine has finally come off big tech. And then there is the most important stock in the world. That is Tesla. It's got its annual meeting today. And as always... There's a little mystery surrounding Mr. Musk. Let's talk about all this and more with Dan Ives of Wedbush. Dan, good to have you back on. What's your macro take on big tech right now? Is it played out? 
You know, in my view, is this is just sort of a white knuckle period to what's in the midst of a broader multi-year rally for tech. I mean, you know, the, to us, it's a doubling down on tech and our bull thesis here because we don't worry about some of the exogenous events or a 20-bit move in the 10-year. Instead, I focus on this digital transformation. It's a $2 trillion of spending over the next decade. That's why we've been telling our investors sort of pound the table moment, still think 16,000 is our target for NASDAQ year end. And this is just what I view as a rest or a digestion period rather than the start of any sort of secular uh, negative thesis for tech. Okay, yeah, white knuckle period. Do you expect more of that ahead? I mean, could it be, you know, historically, fourth quarter, Dan, is great for stocks. Uh, could it be a little more of the same, you think, a little more volatility? Or does that DC debt deal kind of smooth things out a bit? Yeah, I think right now it's a green light, bright green light to own tech. I think more than 10% plus going into year. And I think 3Q is going to be a major positive catalyst. Brian, I think the street's massively underestimating numbers for the next 12 to 18 months on tech. And the haters will continue to hate. They've hated the tech rally the last year and a half. But I view this as just the start of sort of the next leg as we go into what I view as sort of a, a growth frontier that, that's still massively underestimated for the street in terms of cloud, cybersecurity, big cap tech, specifically Apple, Microsoft. Yeah. Let's talk Tesla annual meeting today. Sort of some, some sort of mystery comments. We expect nothing less from Elon Musk about maybe a new, a new headquarters. They're going to be at their Gigafactory, which is not yet done in, in, in Austin, Texas. Uh, what are your some expectations for the annual meeting today? Do you think they could say we're moving our headquarters to Texas? Yeah, there's always going to be some fireworks when Musk uh, is speaking. But I do think the big focus, it's not surprising that they're doing it at Austin. I think more and more of the strategic focus of Tesla domestically is coming out of Austin, not just the Cybertruck build out, but I see more and more cars being built out of Austin than Fremont over the next few years. So I think that they're going to announce sort of the opening of Berlin over the next month. That's key in terms of Europe and the bottleneck we're seeing as well as what we're seeing in Austin, which is start to get online over the coming months. This is big because yeah. right now Tesla doesn't have a demand issue. It's a supply issue. It's part of a green tidal wave. And I think there's going to be bullish comments coming out of Tesla today. Dan Ives of Wedbush. Dan, always appreciate your views, certainly on a stock Thank that you. is no doubt one of, if not the most important in the world. Dan, have a great day. Thank you very much. All right. Coming up, from electric cars to crypto, regulators looking to take to maybe bring one crypto asset into the mainstream. Again, maybe. But as we head to break, quick hit some of your other top headlines this morning. A federal judge yesterday in Texas ordering it to spend its most restrictive abortion law in America. The judge calling it a, quote, offensive deprivation of a constitutional right by banning most abortions. Meantime, Britain's Sky is launching a streaming TV. We'll put the company's set-top box functionality into the device and use Wi-Fi to connect rather than a satellite dish. Sky is owned by our parent company, by the way, Comcast. And the Tuesday night Yankees-Red Sox game was the most watched baseball game on ESPN since the day Mark McGuire made record time to sink first. All back in 98. back by All right, welcome back. While you may have been stuck watching stocks lately, pay attention to crypto. Nearly every major asset is up the last few weeks. Bitcoin overnight, back above 55K. It's not there now, but it was. And it could be building a base to march higher, with recent data showing more investors are holding on to Bitcoin for longer. In other words, 
avoiding the exit amid the pullbacks, right? The sort of up and down. They're just holding it, buying it and holding it. This is coming amid developments in another type of crypto asset, stable coins. And there was a report out of Coindesk overnight at the FDIC is studying whether they might be eligible for federal deposit insurance coverage. For more, let's bring in Noah Atchison, head of market insights at Genesis. You know, it's a Coindesk story, uh, Noel. It's, it's well-sourced. I think it's got four or five sources in it. I read it last night, and I thought, this seems like kind of a big deal when the government says, yeah, maybe we'll, in- we'll insure some of these assets. What's your take? It's really exciting, Brian. And I have to say, these are my opinions, not those of my employers, and nothing I say is investment advice. And the reason it's exciting is that stable coins underpin much of crypto market liquidity and going forward could start to underpin other types of market liquidity as well, should they become more accepted into mainstream finance. And it's precisely this kind of move that will lay that to happen. That plus the growing rumblings about regulation on stable coins that we've been hearing coming from various sources, international bodies, in fact, that are going to give stable coins the veneer of respectability that will enable them to help liquidity in markets around the world, as well as develop other functionalities with the programmable qualities that they embed. Yeah, it would basically be part of the federal government sort of putting its stamp of approval on at least one part of the crypto market. There's also the possibility, no guarantees in life, right? Well, there's one guarantee down the road, but that there may be an ETF approved for Bitcoin or other cryptos. Assuming we get that, Noel, what might that mean? It's a very big if, to be honest, Brian. We do have some approvals that are supposed to be coming down, sorry, decisions that are supposed to be coming down next week. But these are Bitcoin futures-based ETFs, which is a very different type of instrument from a Bitcoin spot-based ETF. They aren't necessarily going to have a huge amount of interest. We've been looking at some of the Canadian figures, massive interest for their Bitcoin spot ETFs, minimal interest for their Bitcoin futures-based ETFs. And so we could see something play out here. We also do have to bear in mind that it is a very big if. We could see yet another delay in the decisions. Gary Gensler does seem to like to batch his delays as well. But we we ran a poll recently amongst our community asking, uh, what what probability do you give a U.S. approval of a Bitcoin ETF in October? And the vast majority said 25% or less. But we're seeing in the markets yesterday, Brian, that not everyone shares that opinion. Yeah. Two, two big potential developments there that I know a lot of crypto holders uh, are really hoping for. Noel Hodgson, we appreciate you getting up early. Thanks for joining us here on WEX. Have a great day, Noel. Take care. Thanks, Brian. All right. You're welcome. On deck, it is your morning RBI. And one very big reason that you should be happy you live in America right now. Plus, why Carrie Firestone is using history as a guide when it comes to spotting her next buying opportunity. Dow features up 160. We're back with Carrie right after this. Welcome back. Today's RBI is very much like yesterday's RBI because it's about the same topic, Europe's growing power crisis, but from a different angle. Because what began as an industrial problem, big power plants, utilities, manufacturers, etc., is now morphing into a dangerous individual's problem. Because people are going to start to feel the impact of this power issue very soon if they haven't already. Electricity prices are now starting to soar following the gains in natural gas and coal. Look at this data from Energy Live. It shows daily pricing of electricity per megawatt hour. Okay, you can see it's 288 euros per megawatt hour in Spain, more than 300 in Germany. Okay, so those are numbers, but what exactly do they mean? Well, for our viewers who are not in Europe, 
What it means is that electricity prices have gone insane. Those are 300, 400, or even 500% higher than normal. 300 euro megawatt hour, it's usually 30. And that is gonna start to show up very soon in consumers' utility bills if it is not already. Put it another way, can you imagine your power bill going up three or 400% in a month? It's kind of like what happened during the Texas storm. And though this will hopefully be short-lived, a lot of this may be related to short covering for natural gas, whatever, in that time, only a few things can happen. One, people deal with it. They eat it. They pay their higher bill and cut down on spending and other stuff. Bad for the economy. Two, people simply refuse or can't pay their bills and risk getting cut off. Or three, politicians who actually created part of the problem by rushing to renewables too quickly will blame fossil fuel companies and evil traders and just make them eat the bill. So, dear viewer, which of those three things do you think is most likely to happen? Right. We all know. And let's hope the weather stays warmer in Europe for a while longer, because otherwise it could be a tough winter. Random, but interesting. All right, your next guest is one of our favorites and wrote in a CNBC editorial this week that you've got to keep your headlines in perspective and use history as a guide. Let's bring in Kerry Firestone, chairman and CEO at Aureus Asset Management, CNBC contributor. There is your headline. I urge everybody to go read it, Kerry. But what is the what is the gist for those who just either can't or for some reason won't read it? Give us the takeaway. Well, hi, Brian. Thanks. The idea is that headline news affects markets, but we have to look beneath the headlines. Over the last 10 years, I took all of the incidences where there was a decline of 5% or more in the market. We know definitely 2020, the market was down 34%, but we've had 18 such times when the market has fallen. What caused them? There's a lot of headline China concern. China trade talks, for example, hit the headlines consistently through the last five years. There are global worries, such as Greece not paying its debt, Greece defaulting, Spain, Italy, etc. That happened after the financial crisis. The other two big categories were inflation and interest rates. And as we know, the market has basically gone higher over the last 10 years, really the last 12 years, other than that big decline in 2020. And that was COVID. COVID, of course, is a factor that we've had recently. We're, we're hoping that COVID doesn't reoccur as a, as a big headline. But the market recovered. And I looked at each one of those cases. Is it COVID that's going to kill the market in the future? What about China? What about interest rates? What about inflation? And we conclude that there's enough demand in the system. There is enough demand from consumers and industry for product and yeah. services that we can withstand these headline risks. And the market is going to be yeah. able to yeah. move beyond them, that this decline w will subside. As somebody who travels frequently, I can assure you, Carrie Firestone, that the majority of the country outside of the Northeast <clears throat> has moved beyond it already, by the way. They, they said even if it pops again, we've got to live our life. Um, You've got some really interesting picks, names that may have pricing power that we don't talk about much. I mean, I don't hear you guys arguing about Booz Allen Hamilton on the halftime report very much or American Tower. But you think these are quality stocks with pricing power? Because guess what? Regardless of whatever happens with the pandemic, we're going to need cell phone towers. Yeah. 
when we need defense, when we need cell phone towers. And for sure, if you look at that list, Netflix, CRM, Twilio, American Express, Visa. I'm not sure American Express was on the list, but I'm adding it. Um, These are companies that either have subscription models or have some power with cost plus pricing. They also take a percent of revenue sometimes. So American Express and Visa, if there's price increases at the merchant level, they will take their share of it. And I think that's important because definitely we have some inflation. It's probably here to stay. But uh, you and I both know there has been many periods of time. There have been decades where there's been 4% uh, average inflation, as, and the market has been able to sustain an uptrend. It's just many people who yep. think about the market or write about it weren't weren't alive or, or really weren't paying attention to inflation back in the 80s. Or even the 90s. By the way, 94, the Federal Reserve raised yeah, interest rates by 2.5%, and the market doubled in the next five years. We, we forget that. You've got to use historical perspective very quickly on my flight back from Vegas, I kept watching this show on Netflix called The Squid Game. It's disturbing, but I couldn't stop watching it. It may be their biggest show ever. You like Netflix as a pick. I don't ever. know if you've watched the show. It's a little little weird. Oh, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, I think that's going to be a fantastic generator of interest for Netflix. And, yeah, I mean, honestly, Netflix had a period of about 10 months where it underperformed. We bought the stock in there, continued to underperform for a while. Now it's really hitting its stride. It's got a lot more content. Remember, they couldn't make any shows through the first part of COVID. And with that subscriber base and pricing power, yeah, we like that stock a lot. Well, if we're talking about it, it's already gotten to that point. Kerry Firestone, we're watching some of those great names. As always, love having you on. Great historical perspective. Thank you, Kerry. And go, go Sox. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> you bet. Go Sox. Right, very welcome. Go Sox, the Red Sox. She's up there in Boston. All right, Kerry, thank you very much. And, folks, thank you all for watching Worldwide Exchange. I'll be on Squawk in about 10 minutes. Talk more about energy. They'll pick up the market coverage. I am off tomorrow. Go Hokies. Saturday night against Notre Dame. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.